Have you enjoyed listening to travel and shit? Well, then consider becoming a subscriber. Beginning December 1st, you can support the work I've been doing to get you an episode each week and get exclusive access to all episodes one week early. Beginning December 1st, exclusive early access will be given to subscribers. I'd love to give you first listen. Consider supporting the show and becoming a subscriber. For more info, go to travelandshitpodcast.com slash subscribe. I made it around the world And came back with stories to tell Different places to call home Now I'm never on my own Dietations, to my people hitting foreign nations Food, travel and shit, moving to live Life in the sky, stories to give The ones who make it there and can make it back salutations and shit folks welcome 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 back to another episode of your favorite travel podcast travel shit where i your host dean carry have an experiential conversation about the nuanced ways that travel intersects with regular life and um if you are watching on the youtubes you can see just how much of a hand talker i am i always i don't think about it until i'm here Right. Until I get in front of the camera and I do the little spiel and then I keep feeling my hands moving and it is now on my mind again. So if that's an issue, that's too bad. You're going to love it anyway. So welcome. 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 I'm happy to hear you here. New or established. And if you are watching on the YouTubes, you will see that there is another beautiful face gracing your screens. I've got a guest. So to my lovely guest, hello, please introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Dominique and I'm an air traffic controller and a mother and I do some other little projects, but um, pretty much I'm here to talk about being an air traffic controller. <laughs> So thank you. I'll start there. I was so, I don't know why air traffic controller seems like one of those jobs to me that like there are only 12 in the world. It just, I, I, it's, you don't ever really run into somebody and they'd be like, Oh, what do you do? (laughs) Waiting online, pay for some shit. And you just random conversation with a stranger and you just, you don't ever, I would never expect someone to tell me that they're an air traffic controller. Right. Are there as few of you as there are in my mind, or is it like yes. there's plenty of people? Oh, I think currently there's only like fifteen thousand in America. The last time I checked, but that might be less now. Um, oh, we are definitely at a shortage, and mm-hmm. we are definitely looking for people. <laughs> so, what all the like? What do you? What are the requirements? I guess you would say to get. Um, they do the have job. different requirements. So a lot of the bids that are normally open for the air traffic control job, it's a government job. Okay. And um, they have prior experience jobs. So like people that are military that do air traffic control usually can apply anytime. Mm-hmm. And then you can go to colleges like Embry-Riddle or like Beaver College and get a degree in air traffic or mostly a lot of them get pilot's license and then come over to air traffic. Or you can do like I did and take like a civil service exam and get picked up off the street with no experience. Oh, cool. But so, go ahead. No, I was just going to say there's a few. Okay. 
So what does that training look like? If they're hiring like former pilots and military personnel or people who specifically went to school for air traffic control, like what does that training process look like? So if you don't have the prior experience, you will have to go to an academy in Oklahoma and depending on which type of air traffic you go into, either you do like Enroute or Tracon or um, Terminal routes of air traffic. So that's three different levels. I can probably explain that a little bit more later. Um, mm-hmm. That depends on the time that you have to stay in Oklahoma. So I, when I initially went to Oklahoma, I went for Enroute, which is high altitude air traffic controlling. And I went there for basics, which taught me like, different things about um, air traffic and planes and, you know, just different, like, you know, icing, different elements that affect air traffic. And then after that, I went for four more months for training for en route. Oh. It was all paid training. So I wasn't, I was a little happy, but not really happy. (laughs) So you said another four months. So that first training was four months. Um, the first was six weeks. It was either six okay. weeks, eight weeks. I'm pretty sure it was only six weeks. And then I went for four months. Yeah, Damn. I went for, I went in April and I left in the first week of September. So yeah. God damn. Yeah. It was all paid training. The worst part was it was Oklahoma in the middle of the summer with the tornadoes and stuff. Okay. Okay. Not okay, but okay. That yeah. sucks. That's okay. That's a lot of freaking training. So you were saying that there are different tiers to training. Like what, what are those? Okay. So in route is again, like high altitude. So most centers work in route. And so, okay, let mm-hmm. me start from the ground. So you're on the ground, <laughs> usually talking to a tower. And okay. that's where everybody sees. Like when I, before I became air traffic control, I just thought, you know, you, you're talking to the tower and you just go to the other tower. I didn't know there was people in between, you know? So the no, after tower <laughs> and then the airplane takes off and about probably, depending on the airport, 2,000 or 3,000 feet in the air, you get switched to a, um, a Tracon. So I currently work at a Tracon. And then we okay. transition the aircraft from departing to maybe 10,000 feet or 18,000 feet, depending on, again, where your airspace is. And mm-hmm. then above that is um, where the, the centers take over. And then they work the airplanes up to like six, flight level 600, which is 60,000 feet. Okay. And then above that is military airspace, and we can't talk about it. <laughs> but um, cool. yes, yeah, so pretty much depending on where you are in the world, they'll either have you'll be talking to a center or a tracon or a tower. Okay. And so that's the different phases of the flight. So that's just you need a little. Yes. <laughs> no, you you got me there. Okay. I am just I went. I am. I would like to think my, well, I don't even think I know. I'm a universally curious person. I'm curious about just about any fucking thing. Mm -hmm. However, this is particularly of interest to me because it's one of those things that you interact so much with and you know absolutely nothing about. So hearing you say all of this is just, I thought that 
it was like one person in a dark room with a ton of panels and screens and buttons with like a white shirt. And I, of course, envisioned like the worst, like, you know, how men in white and short sleeve button ups with ties. Yes. Are always like, uh, are you really trustworthy? I feel like you're going to panic and not get this right. I don't know something about the short sleeve shirt and the tie, but I envisioned it to be one person in a tower that is directing like everything. Like I wouldn't even have assumed that there are different control stations or control um, avenues, arenas, whatever's, I guess, um, departments, levels, tiers, if you will, (laughs) to the flight. And I also would have thought that like you start with one and then unless you're like, oh, also I guess another question is, how so do you only this seems like a dumb question but maybe not a dumb question i like what is the range like how far do you control so my current um facility that i work at we control i would say about 200 miles long and maybe 150 miles north and south Okay. And we have about nine airports that we work and then some outlying fields that are uncontrolled that we work. Mm-hmm. And then we work a lot of military aircraft. Okay. We have like a, a thing called the MOA, which is where they practice drills and stuff in over mm-hmm. our airspace. So we work that also. And then we have a lot of restricted airspace around us. So where you can't fly most of the time. Okay. So does that kind of vary by region? Like by, um, like, so we have a lot of military bases here. So actually where I work now is the cradle of aviation for military. Oh, pretty much all the people come here for the Navy to learn how to fly helicopters and planes. Oh, work a lot of those trainers. La dee da. That's cool. Well, well, okay. It's cool. <laughs> right. It depends on and which area. And you, you know, you need to be doing something, but you are so distracted because you're so behind because you're mm-hmm. learning how to do it. It's like, uh, okay, guys, let's get it together. <laughs> okay. So actually that will lead me to one of the questions that somebody's uh, had. Um, she asked, well, what was her name? This young lady was quite kind to answer the call so her name is uh travel africa with jabu we travel we travel africa one hey girl so her question was i listened to an audio clip yesterday of an atc getting mad at a pilot because he was moving too slow for takeoff and she told him to get out of the way so other air traffic could take off her question so what if he refuses to get out the way so what like do you do when people don't follow directions like they're assholes in every industry yeah. What do you do when people just don't follow your orders? Um, well, if they don't follow our orders, we can give them a warning and they have to call the facility and we pretty much write them up. And then they okay. follow it with the, the, it goes against their pilot license so they can lose their license. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Sounds Play reasonable. Play around and find out. Yeah, basically. Basically. Because, yeah. I mean, you're responsible well, my assumption is you guys are like the second most important person to the pilot, right? So you, in yeah. my tier of importance to who has my life in their hands, I'm thinking first the pilot, then I'm thinking air traffic control, 
Yes. Maybe the flight attendants. In my mind, I'm thinking more so the other passengers because if they fuck up, I feel like <laughs> things can go so wrong. Yeah. A flight attendant, they kind of, I would hope, would support each other. Like where one of them drops the ball, another person kind of steps in. I trust them more to just do what it needs to do and like whatever. But okay, so how is that a is that a fair assumption? Is that an accurate I, assumption? I would say yes, because honestly, as controllers, a lot like I told you before, a lot of them go to pilot schools, so. Mm-hmm that becomes beneficial when there's situations like um say a pilot say it's like a single engine plane so it's it might be one pilot in there and not mm-hmm. in a big commercial airplane okay and that pilot only has a passenger or somebody or their kid in the pilot in the um, plane and they go unconscious or something that person can get on the radio and say hey i'm in this airplane and i need help and then some of the um, controllers may have experience with that plane and they can tell them exactly what to do you know press this button right I don't have that experience I don't um dream of flying a plane okay <laughs> not Maybe, your bag no probably not <laughs> okay but, you know like some people do some people do um teach lessons on the weekends you know hmm. so some have um commercial like flew for delta or right you know, before they started working here so they have a lot of knowledge about the bigger airplanes and stuff that could happen. They can jump in and be like, okay, did you try this? Did you try that? Yeah. You know, or even assist somebody like, I'll call somebody, be like, hey, they got a Cessna that lost their left engine. You know, how can, you know, tell me what to tell them, you know? Okay. So for sure, the pilot and then us, if we are there to assist them. But not all the planes talk to air traffic control. And that's where it can come, become an issue for like, if they need help. So some will call up, just call us up out of the blue and be like, hey, we need help, mayday, mayday, mayday. And we're like, you know, where are you? Or whatever, I have to find the airplane or find who they're by to get them help and stuff like that. But yeah. Wait, so (laughs) how, pray tell, do they randomly call you Mm-hmm. I guess so that's another kind of question I had are you guys always I guess the partial answer to that is like I, I'm working through the question in my mind as I talk to you which I'm <laughs> you're probably picking up on so the assumption that because I put together my questions based on what my assumptions were right mm-hmm. so now that I'm hearing that there are three different tiers that you're elevation or what's the correct word your um your altitude I guess what's it called yes okay so your altitude is going to kind of dictate whom you speak with right is there ever a time where a plane is not in contact with aircraft air traffic control or is there always no um so there's different classes of airspaces a b c d e f g h okay Oh, depending on um, the class of airspace is whether they have to talk. So like class G airspace is an uncontrolled airport and they don't have to talk to you, you know, so they can take off and land however many times they want. Who is they? Like, (laughs) it's usually like weekend warriors, as we call them, you know, your grandpa got an airplane. He likes to crop dust and stuff like that. He takes up from the airport, crop dust the field and comes back you know some people have um runways 
on their land and they, they never talk okay. to you. They just come out and then you'll get somebody say, hey, did you know there's somebody down here 200 feet? You're like, nope, but thanks. Selling us, you know, so we could tell, call traffic for the other airplanes in the area. Huh. So those people, is it that they are limited to a certain altitude so that they yes. don't into Okay, yes. I feel better now. I was starting to yes. get a little worried. It was Around intense. the airports, <laughs> it'll be like class B airspace and they'll have like, there's a map and then okay. them like, okay, you can fly here and do this at these altitudes. And if you're at this altitude, you need to talk to this person on this mm-hmm. frequency. And then like, that's how they're not a call. And they can't enter like certain spaces without talking to air traffic control or even altitudes. Like if they're over 17,999 feet, they have to be talking to somebody. Okay. But below that, they don't in the hmm. certain spaces. Okay. So as long as you're within a certain radius of an airport, there is a certain altitude at which you are required to then get in contact with air traffic control for what I would assume to be obvious reasons. Oh, most airports. Yes. But some of the airports are not controlled. Like we have a few airports in our airspace that aren't controlled. So they can just pop up and close in the air. And then because of the rest of the classification of our airspace, they'll have to call us through certain spots. That just seems like it makes y'all life more difficult for no yes. reason. <laughs> that's the difficult part. <laughs> I don't even work there. And I see that that sounds like a very terrible idea. Like, it's yeah. just, you guys have more. Um, okay, so following up with this, it seems that is making me feel like, okay, those are, uh, I guess you could say, unaccounted for or unforeseen, not substances interactions problems they're like little things that you don't expect to happen right so what what do you do when stuff like that happens like how do you navigate around that and why is that even a thing like what are your what protections are there for you guys because you guys are responsible for a lot so Mm -hmm. why is it that I guess not why is it that's more like a policy question but how do they I guess train or um have you guys combat that or work around surprises like that a lot of that is the onus is on the pilot so again with the pilot's license when they're training for their um license they have to know the class airspaces know the frequencies know how to read the maps so say if they're gonna go on a cross-country trip they need to know okay when i'm in texas i need to talk to this person then this space i don't need to talk to anybody but when i get to alabama I need to talk to this person at this frequency. When I get to Florida, I need to talk to this person. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm down in South Florida and I don't need to talk to anybody because I'm near this airport and I see it and they know I see it inland, you know? Mm-hmm. Or you have like Delta who's leaving my airport and then they're going to be climbing up to like 36,000 feet. They're going to talk to us. They're going to talk to Jacksonville Center. They're going to talk to Atlanta Center. They're going to talk to Atlanta Tracon and they're going to talk to Atlanta Tower. And that whole way, they're going to talk to somebody. Mm -hmm. And so I assume that um, your average commercial flight, right? They're never going to be out of contact with air traffic because of the altitudes that they're going to be at. Yes. And also pretty much it's kind of the insurance that they're going to get all the traffic alerts and stuff that they need. They're not going to, you know, you wouldn't want to be on a, a Southwest flight and then you see like, a plane coming at you that they don't know about you know 
right right when he applies a little blimps and stuff like that you mm-hmm. know oh do they uh report to y'all too i guess mm-hmm. depending on how high up they yeah. go right it makes sense yeah they'll, they'll have to let us know because a lot of you know they can't control where the blimp is going so it's gonna float to wherever though oh they don't fly they just ascend kind of thing they, they just the blimps that we have over here they don't and then they have we even have gliders and stuff over here and then they'll just let us know like they're gonna be gliders between like three o'clock and six o'clock and then we can maneuver our planes around them so that it's not an issue y'all gotta work around random stuff mm-hmm. like that weather birds right that's enough facts. stuff that you can't <laughs> control yeah yeah y'all i did not know this this is um this is making the sky seem a lot more treacherous than i already um <laughs> yeah this a lot and it's one of those things where people will always say, oh, you're so much safer in the sky. The likelihood of you getting to you a, into an accident. Yes. Yes. Data. <laughs> Statistics. Numbers mean things. However, limps, <laughs> gliders. And then you don't think about how many things are actually in the air, in the sky until conversations. For me, I can't speak to everybody. I wouldn't think about all these things. Like, for example, when I think of things in the sky, I'm thinking like, oh, you know, uh, go zip lining, but you don't need to contact nobody. You're still attached to the ground to some extent. Things like paragliding, parasailing, hot air balloons. I assume they contact, they yeah, communicate with you guys. Mm-hmm. But it's like on a hot air balloon, I don't know anything about hot air balloons. Let me preface it with this. <laughs> it don't look like they have gauges and stuff on the I device they work. i know that they probably turn their air on to go higher or and then they just get moved by the wind i know they have like little sail things to turn them different ways but that's about it that's right that, that seems pretty problematic for <laughs> you especially but i guess they don't get i don't think that they go that high they I think get, yeah high, they can't how you gonna breathe right like maybe three or four thousand feet i don't even think that high Okay, they're not going to do it on an airport. So it's you would assume that they're not going to be. And hopefully you don't have a plane that's flying that low. That's not by an airport. So I guess it also depends on who's near what. And I so when you think about like water sports and stuff, right? One of the beaches that I'm thinking of is Bermuda. And I remember where I stayed. I stayed at Grotto Bay Beach Resort, 10 out of 10, highly recommend. Um, well, at least in 2017, they were great. Um <laughs> It, it is such a good time. I loved Bermuda. That was my first time out of the country. Absolutely love it. So it'll always hold a special place in my heart. But from where I was staying, it was a beautiful resort, right? They had a ton of shit for you to do. But there was, you could see the airport. I could see the planes taking off from my balcony. It was, it was entertaining for me. Yeah. But I don't think about now what types of, say, um, water activities or even land activities like touristy shit that people can or can't or should or shouldn't do in an area that's going to be right you know that close to an airport because it's cute to see them taking off but they all got to come from different areas and I assume they don't I assume it's not a 360 entrance into the airport because you're what do you call them the uh, runways are only where they are but you know it's just huh 
maybe this resort isn't going to offer that because it's so close to the airport or you're not going to be able, if you stay near the airport, you may have to travel a little further away to do stuff in the sky if that's what your bag is, if that's what you're into or whatever. Maybe. Seems reasonable. Yeah. That's like, a, I, in my mind, that's like a lot of things that I wouldn't want to have to think about. What kind of things do you have to think about when you do your job? Like, what are your major responsibilities? We know you talk to the planes, but like, what are you guys responsible for keeping in check? Our primary goal is to separate airplanes and ensure safety. So that's okay. one and two goals. <laughs> okay. After that is, you know, less important, but you know, mm-hmm. that's our number one goal is safety and mm-hmm. insurance separation. So, um, if you want to think about it like a street map, pretty much in the higher altitudes, the well, actually from the ground, there's like airways and um, waypoints and fixes. So mm-hmm. the airplanes will go to these specific places, most of them, to navigate. And so that's how we kind of keep them separated for the most part mm-hmm. uh, by using the airways and the fixes and stuff like that then also the altitudes and we have to look um, speed performance of the plane mm-hmm. and also just weather conditions. So on like a bad day in Florida, let's say every afternoon, you know, it's going to be a rainstorm. Mm-hmm. Where is the rainstorm going to be? You don't know. So today right. your planes might have to go more north and then come to the west to come back down south. Or maybe they need to go east for hundred miles and then come up north you know, just depending on where the storm is and where it's moving or how it's building or even how high the storm is. Mm-hmm. So those are the type of like real issues that we have. But besides that, like, I don't think that it's a real hard job per se. The stress is more of people. <laughs> people. Um, and then the plane secondary so okay if you have like so I said um where I work it's a big training area mm-hmm. so the other problem with that is there's okay like people from Iraq will come here and train so then there's a language barrier right so okay. imagine trying to learn English and learn yeah. how to plane. and then yikes uh, listen to us and be like thinking about mm, did she say turn left and what is left yeah what is left which direction is left actually (laughs) yeah like what does left mean yeah so that is a big issue where I work now when I worked in New York it was more of the congestion of planes so it was more structured in New York and we used our airways our streets more so um that's how we kind of control stuff and then we have holding spots so like say LaGuardia there's a big storm over LaGuardia and they're mm-hmm. not taking any planes because they can't land or take off any planes there's no where to pick the planes so they got to stay in the sky or they got to stay where they originated at and then so we have planes that are trying to come in but they can't get past the storm they might hold and um I'll just give you for example like where I used to work we used to we had a holding spot over Williamsport, Pennsylvania. So they would hold 30,000 feet over Williamsport in a 10 mile circle or whatever have you, or Philly departures would hold over Pottstown, Pennsylvania, you know, okay, there to get in or get out. 
and that's how we we you just kind of make a flow control so that's pretty much why it doesn't get crazy anymore but it has a potential especially if like a storm pops up in the middle and they weren't ready for it or you couldn't like predict it you know Mm -hmm. so those type of uncertainties are make that's when we really making our money (laughs) right (laughs) you working for your check those days so when you come from Oklahoma you don't just start working you do start working with the planes but you still at your facility you'll train again shadow and stuff okay each position for a certain amount of hours depending on your facility level and the complexity and the volume Mm -hmm. they'll give you like they might give you 100 hours to train on this one position and then they might give you 200 hours to train on the next position so you're still mm-hmm. training and all of that stuff until you get to a level of efficiency where your trainer believes that, you know, okay. you got it and your supervisor is going to have to check up. So it's a lot of checks and balances to get to the final products. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so when you get to it, you're like, oh, you know, like I've seen this before, I can do this, you know, all of that stuff. So that's why I don't say it's really stressful. You got a lot of training, you know? Okay. So what does the room look like? You were talking about different uh, positions. What kind of positions are there? And does that vary based on the tier that you are? Yes, that is. Okay. So I can talk to you about TRACON. I can talk to you about the center I used to be at. Mm-hmm. Um, so in so now I work at the TRACON. So we pretty much work. And that's the middle one. Yes. Okay. So where I work, we have from the ground up to 23,000 feet in some places. Mm-hmm like that MOA that I told you about, which is um, military. Yeah, 60,000 and above. Airspace and stuff like that. Wrote that down. <laughs> so um, in my building, we have a flight data, which is putting in flight plans or like a minute altitudes and stuff like that and for the flight plans. Pretty much they are giving the information to each sector um, that's going to work a plane, like what what they should be expecting for that plane to come through then the call sign the type of the aircraft where they're coming from where they're going to what altitude they need mm-hmm. so if you have a plane that needs a different altitude like they filed for eight thousand, but now they want ten thousand. the flight data person is going to be the one to go in the system and change it so that everybody down the line is going to know that that airplane is going to be at ten thousand instead of eight thousand, or it's going to be on this route instead of that route before you go past that, what would make that change? Like what um, kind of things affect they might that? They ask for it or like, so to uh, budding our airspace, there's another military facility and they have restrictions. So they'll be like, you can't fly at these altitudes from now mm-hmm. until seven o'clock. And okay. then, so then the planes will have to go either around a different route or they'll have to go the altitudes that are available. So then what okay. happens? so maybe they were flying at nine thousand, and now the coast is closed at nine thousand. so we can tell them hey you want to go at seven thousand, or you want to go over a new route and they'll say hey we want to stay on this route we want to go down to seven so then it will change it okay or sometimes people like no we want to go high and fly fast so we'll change to the other route. okay that's the piece i was missing so i guess the height depends on how fast you can go yes so Below 10,000 feet, you can only go 250. And then when you get closer to the airport, the, outs- the speeds change depending on your aircraft type. Okay. So, um, but above 10,000 feet, you can go 250 and above. So you could do 
or hundred knots if you want, you know. Okay. Depending on your aircraft type, <laughs> if your plane can sustain it, you know. And actually, mm-hmm. you get higher in the altitudes, like flight levels, which is pretty much eighteen thousand feet and above. Um, they call it flight levels, and then it's just same altitudes. In America, we call them flight levels. In other countries, they call all the altitudes flight levels. So just depending on where you are, what they're going to call it. But here in America, it's flight levels. And flight level 180, which is what I talked about before, everybody has to talk to somebody 18 and mm-hmm. above. And so with um, the altimeter setting, which is what the barometric pressure is what they gauge their airplanes in to say what altitude they're in. Okay. At 18,000 feet, they switch over to a certain number and then they're in flight levels. Mm-hmm. So they, because depending on what the pressure is, the altitude actually changes, if that makes sense. Okay. Probably not, but yeah. No, I kind of follow because that's, that's what, because that's what lifts the plane, right? Isn't it pressure and wind and force and air and shit? Isn't that? Yes. All of that does guide <laughs> science, but. Yes, pretty much how they set it at the altimeter setting for above flight level 180 is just so that everybody's at the same altitude. Okay. So if if you're in, let's say, Deer Park and the, alt- and the altimeter setting is 2987 and then at JFK is 2992, but you're at 18,000 feet, the person at 2987 will be lower Mm-hmm. So if everybody sets it at 2992 at 18, they're going to be at the altitude they should be at. Okay. It's kind of like making it an even playing field yeah. so that everybody's numbers are at the same, regardless of what type of aircraft they're flying. Because I assume that yeah. different ones measure different things differently for different reasons. Like if you have a larger plane, yours might need to read something differently, maybe? No, no it's Is more it? of like location. So like okay. the pressure is different in different locations. So if you set it at the same pressure, then everybody's at the same altitude at that same place. Yeah. Copy. I'm following. I'm here. Okay. okay. Yes. Thank you for that. Um, yeah. Want to get them like we're going to 18 today, huh? <laughs> <laughs> like the crazy what do you see? So like if it's 2987 at Deer Park and you're at 18,000 feet, you can't be there. So then you have to go to 19 or 20. So it gets a little tricky because numbers wouldn't be Not my thing. Okay. So kind of like how I was describing it before being at the same altitude, they don't use 18 when it's below 2992 because mm. you can't really tell if it's at 18, 18,999. So they don't use that altitude when the pressure is lower than 2992. Okay. So there are two different things, pressure and then altitude. The pressure is going to determine the altitude. Yes. Having, this is like a science class. You're like Bill Nye. No, because that's a guy. What we don't have any women scientists that everyone knows about. We gotta work on it. <laughs> I don't know why that was just so presently in that moment, like a huge disappointment to me. I was a science that was in NASA that did all the Oh Mae Jemison. Well, I that's the only lady in NASA okay, well, I recognize. <laughs> Mae Jemison, first black astronaut. Was she the first black or just the first female or was she the first black female? Mae Jemison, gang gang. I know she is 
of importance and was a first. Road trips give you the flexibility of taking the most control of your itinerary. No airline delays or cancellations. You can sit in your own germs and move at your own pace. Whether you're looking for family friendly or something romantic, history and heritage, or a foodie's delight, I've got you covered. Choose your trip based on the vibe or the distance you feel like driving. This pack includes DC, Philly, Hartford, Burlington, and Montreal. All destinations are a few hours from New York City, so they're perfect for anyone along the East Coast to tap into. The download also includes a packing list, pre-trip car prep guide, and a playlist of travel and shit road trip content. These itineraries are perfect for travelers who enjoy having a plan with space for spontaneity. Head over to travelandshippodcast.com slash travel resources slash road trip to download your copy and take the stress of planning and packing off the table while you focus on the road. Um, but so, okay. So you did, um, I interrupted you. You were saying that there was, what was the media, no, the flight plan coordinator or the. Yes. So flight okay. data. And then, okay. um, there's usually a departure controller and mm-hmm. an arrival controller and a final controller. So the departure controller will get the planes from the tower and then they will um, raise them to another altitude and give them to another controller, which will send them to the the center. Mm -hmm. The arrival controller will get them from the center, transition them to go to the final controller and the final controller will land them to the airport. Okay. Does that make sense? Sure does. A little bit. You're good at this. We need like a graph. We need like a chart. (laughs) You're very good at this. I will say you are very good at explaining things. I am following. Okay. I'm proud of me. Okay. So that's in the first one, the tower. That's in the second one. Okay. The second. Tower people, I don't really know what they do. Okay. What I know of them that they do, they have Mm -hmm. the airplane go from the gate. You talk to them and tell them what ways to get to the runway. Then they clear Mm. them off and then they switch into us <laughs> copy so, so you're not responsible for the delays is what i'm hearing that's what i'm hearing we're not really so you mm-hmm. know we get to that too how the media has been dragging air traffic controllers for delays and everybody getting a fights canceled and stuff like that they're saying that it's a shortage but they're not talking about how they let all those pilots go and they don't have no pilots to fly the planes hello i heard about that i was going to get to that since you mentioned pilots (laughs) ended up doing that but since we're there now (laughs) what how do we end up with delays outside of rain right because that was somewhat of another question somebody had asked i knew that it wasn't a real question because it was my uncle he was just being (laughs) um (laughs) Uh, rambunctious if you will but what it was why am I sitting here on the runway like you would assume that like there so his commentary not me this was him (laughs) you're supposed to be able to direct high volume um movement of aircraft even in an emergency which duh yes however there are going to be things that get in the way when I think of like or whenever my flight is delayed a lot of the gate agents shout out to y'all because people are disgusting like people treat service people so wild and i never understood how you can be disgusting and then ask for something in the same breath like that never made sense to me but it's not my thing but i shout out to them because they will 
for the most part, at least the last couple of flights that I've been on, I can't think of one where I haven't had an idea of why we were delayed. It's either going to be weather. Mm-hmm. It's either snowing, raining, doing something yeah. wherever the plane was coming from. So it got to us late because it left late or something like um, we're okay. looking for a gate or we mm-hmm. are, you know, um, they got to clean this plane off or there was, they, they generally do a decent job of telling you what it is. And most of the times it is weather related. What other reasons are planes del- delayed and why would that be air traffic control? Like why would, I don't understand why they blame y'all. Well, the reasons that we have delays that we'll take accountability for is mm-hmm. really nothing because we can't control the weather. Right. right? So. And y'all not the pilots either. It's yeah. like. And the, it's ultimately the pilot's decision if they don't feel safe to fly in okay. specific things. So if there's like a thunderstorm within five miles of the airport, they can't land. So that's okay. going to be a delay. Most majority of the delays are weather. And it might not be weather where you are, but it might be in right. your um, mm-hmm. destination or at your destination. Or say that like we'll take LaGuardia again because I flew in LaGuardia this um, summer and thinking I was going in and out, I was doing a day trip in and out, trying to drop the kid off and come back, and it ain't happened for me. <laughs> so, actually, got to Pennsylvania and was holding for like a half an hour, and you could see the storm from out the window if you oh, wow. pay attention. But I'm the weirdo that looks out the window <laughs> when we're flying, so I was like, oh, at yeah. times I too enjoy yeah, a window view. Right before we started holding, I was like, we're about to go on a hold, and she was like, how do you know? I was like, look at this. And yeah. She was like, and sure enough, that they pulled that brake back and we started circling. I said, oh man. Then it was like a half an hour. I was like, we're still circling. Mm. <laughs> then we got diverted to Albany. And we sat on the tarmac at Albany for three hours refueling. Oof. And then the storm finally passed to LaGuardia. And then we got into LaGuardia like five hours late. <laughs> My God. <laughs> Yeah, it's that sitting on the plane in limbo that would drive me crazy with that whole I don't know when we're going to be able to go like I don't have information to give you to pacify you in this in this moment right now. That is where you lose me. That's where I'm just I can be patient for things that I can understand. This is me. I'm speaking for myself. I am not a patient person but I tend to have patience with situations that I know are generally outside of my control in the sense that I can understand them. Like I'm patient with kids because I understand children to have no life experience. So they're supposed to be assholes. It's, uh, it's beholden to the adults <laughs> to guide them into, you know, peopling appropriately, right. but like adults and different, like, and then I will say uh, within cultural context, I don't expect to go to a different country and, you know, for people to use the same logic that my American logic isn't going to work other places the same way right. it does here. Right. So right. I'm not a complete idiot, but I, you don't control the weather right. and outside of weather, are there any like people reasons that delays tend to be a thing? Like, is it, so I don't even think, go ahead. We do. So especially, okay. So during COVID we had shifts where it was like, you could only work with certain people, certain hours so that everybody was protected. But think about it. If I get COVID on my crew of five people, 
now y'all got five less people to work and how y'all gonna rotate the other people in so now you're gonna have to stop services for the shifts that we would have been at work mm-hmm. and then readjust or whatever how, how now you might have four people on of on a shift but only you and you need four positions open so now nobody's getting breaks so they're gonna have to yeah. find a way to curtail it so that at least people two people getting breaks and the two people can relieve them you know yeah so, but i think we did a really good job at my facility at least um getting through that year and a half of covid crazy that's my next question but for you now what was the that? ripple effect is still going you know because mm-hmm. we still had these rules up until recently where if you somebody around you like if my daughter had covid now i gotta stay home for 14 days so now my crew is down a person now what if two other people because it was a summertime are on vacation mm-hmm. so now what what can we do can we not do practice approaches can we only take this amount of airplanes for this hour? You know, like, what can we do that keeps us safe? Because at the end of the day, it's always insurance yeah. safety, you know? So, yes, people get upset, but, like, if there's no places to put the planes at the airports because they could, the other planes couldn't get out in time because of the weather, now it's going to be delays. And those delays are going to ripple because there might be a plane in Houston trying to get to Tampa and they can't mm-hmm. get there because the Tampa plane was delayed getting in there, you know, because there was no spots to land and park. Right. Get the people off the plane or move the um, luggage around. Mm-hmm. So those are the kind of like little things I guess we could take blame for, but not really, you know? Right. Um, and no, because it the, it the problem didn't originate with you. Like, I feel like if you weren't the source of the problem, you don't deserve to take blame. Now, if you are, oh no, that even my follow-up wouldn't even follow with what I'm actually thinking. Because then I'm like, well, if you're responsible for fixing, 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 if you're responsible for fixing the problem, I still don't think you necessarily take blame per se I think the blame only falls in the the space after the fix did it work did it not work that is on you then like did your fix work did it not work being late is one thing a delay to make it work if it didn't work right it's like it's not your fault it's delayed but if you're um like it's not my fault that um somebody on my staff is late but if my fix for the person being late now causes like okay well now this department isn't manned or this um desk is empty because I didn't allocate who I did have or I didn't move things around okay that's my fault but the delay that don't got nothing to do with me I'm doing my best with what I have now if I fuck up (laughs) with what I have and don't manage that appropriately don't make a talk so what was COVID like for you guys? Was it like, and what does your shift look like? Is it like a nine to five kind of thing? Like, no, no. Okay. <laughs> Gone girl. <laughs> shift, so I work like two nights to either like day kind of semi day. Like I'll give you an example, like 2.30 to 10.30, 1.30 to 9.30, 7.30 to 3.30, 5.30 to 2, and then overnight shift. 
Yeah. Those are long. Those are long shifts. Why those we'll times? Hours, but it's just the like you're never really catching up because your body doesn't have a real sleep pattern. Mm. Why do they do that? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that just seems like it's setting y'all up to be behind. Like if you had something consistent, like so people, there are plenty of people who love shift work. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like shift work, really. Well, I mean, in the sense, right, that it is a consistent shift. Like yeah. if I always worked the night shift, if I always worked a nine to um, what was the ungodly hour, or like what'd you say, like one to nine one thirty to nine thirty like if that was always my bag if that's always my shift I can acclimate to that you know what I mean like I can work around that the rest of my life can make sense around that window of time but like does it do do you are you five days a week yes I am okay the thing is that there's in the rotation okay so like I have Monday Tuesdays off but Mm -hmm. then like these people might have Tuesday Wednesdays Wednesday Thursdays Thursday Fridays Friday Saturdays Mm -hmm. Saturday Sundays Sunday Monday so that's how what the rotation is so your first night your is your later night and then it gradually goes up until you get to your midnight shift and then that's your weekend Hmm. that kind of sucks yes very much but there are some people that work straight um straight well a week of days a week of nights a week of days a week of nights but that sucks too because now the first week you're all on days your body's up five o'clock yeah and then the next week you're like oh i don't gotta be to work until 2 30 and then you gotta go back the next week back to the morning shift it's like kill me yeah you had i don't that, no. damn but that's why i think it's the best way to keep like everybody kind of like moving along with the shift work but like so when I worked in New York they had somebody that would just work straight meds but -hmm. then they still had to rotate through like there need to be five groups of those people too you know and then don't let them get everybody else now they got to come in for a day shift overtime they body is all waxed so yeah like that's the hardest part of the job is shift work too and that's why we have mental retirement age, which is 56. Really? Yes. So to be honest, when I was in New York, a lot of people retired at 56 and they never made it to 57. See what I'm saying? Know? See what I'm but saying? I'm here in Florida. People are retiring early. Like they'll retire at 48. And I see people last week at a party. I was like, oh my gosh, you look younger than when you yeah. were working. You know, you age it backwards, which is awesome. But it just shows you like the the stress that the shift work is putting on your body. Mm-hmm. You know, or like people have diabetes. That's a big thing in our or high cholesterol because we just eat snacks, snacks, snacks. Yeah. Snack table. Terrible. You can't have a regular eating cycle. You can't have a regular sleep cycle. You, it, it, there's so many basic life things that seem to be so difficult to maintain. Exactly. It's not even as simple as like, oh, well, I can't, you know, who's going to take my kids to school or yeah, that fucking sucks. But like, stuff that keeps you alive you know what I mean it's not like oh how am I going to manage doctor's appointments or how am I going to manage grooming hair nails you know things that people deserve Mm -hmm. things that people deserve it's like 
So my body doesn't function if I don't sleep. My body doesn't function if I don't eat. I can't do that in a way that is sustainable for this type of work if. So what makes the job appealing? It sounds like there's like a lot of. I, you know, I didn't go to college for this. So the fact that I stumbled upon me and I loved it when Mm. I got into it, I was just like, thank you, God. (laughs) I love when people love their job. It's, I'm so it's happy for so you. Awesome. Like it's just you see so much fun stuff. And then like really I'm like a weirdo that I like I'll look at the planes I'll be like, oh that's an embryo. You know, like my kids, if you see them with me and we're outside, they'll be like, Oh mommy, it's a helicopter. What kind of helicopter is that? You know? So we're kind of weirdos like that. But um That's not weird. So I like that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was awesome just because and then another thing that appealed me to it when I did learn about it, I was like, oh, there's not a lot of black people or women. So mm. that kind of was like my nudge too, like, you know, I'm, I'm gonna be the one. <laughs> outside of that, it was a lot of controversy yeah. and a lot of stuff that I had to go through because people think that, you know, women don't know what they're doing and mm are stupid so that was another journey that Mm. that's why when I say the job is stressful with the people yeah (laughs) Yeah, that was one of the stresses and it still is but I think that they're on the verge of trying to change the culture which is going to be good probably won't be in my career but we can keep the train and ball rolling for the people down like if my daughter want to be a controller in 18 years when she graduates awesome Mm -hmm. you know if we can set up her path or my cousin or whoever else right let's make it happen right so what is is there a since it's out at 56 is there um like a window that you have to join like is there a cut off so okay you have to, um you will have to be hired by your 31st birthday because you well, can go at order 50. for me <laughs> <laughs> yeah girl <laughs> <laughs> we we passed that <laughs> um 31st birthday and you can retire 20 years at 50 or 25 years at any age okay and then mandatory at 56 so not bad not bad is the compensation reasonable because y'all got a, it sounds like y'all got a lot of stress is your compensate does it match or do you guys then yeah. find yourselves having to do other stuff because like for example people love teaching mm-hmm. but it's never going to i won't say never but for the majority of teachers they still struggling mm-hmm. they're still struggling i saw a woman on I was on Twitter and this woman posted her um, pay stub. Yes, she did redact the sensitive information, but um, she she was in the UK. And Shorty made like $1,600. And this was, I want to say during COVID when um, it was during COVID and there was like a $500 housing allowance that was redacted from her, like that was taken out of her check because- sorry she didn't want to give her family covid you know what i mean but um they made them pay for that which is wild to me but shorty made sixteen hundred dollars for the fucking month oh yeah she's a doctor mind you she was new she was like first year give or take 
Yes. She was a doctor. This was like within the first three years. I want to say this was her first year. She had worked whatever. It was listed something HDU. And I saw somebody comment. Do you understand what HDU means? It's like, these are like the sickest of the sick. Or like, these are people that need like the most care. It was something. It was just like, oh, so it's not just like, you know internal medicine shift at now it was internal medicine but it was internal medicine hdu this was high to COVID. shorty took home 1600 uh what do they have uh uk's pounds i want to say 1600 dollars nope <laughs> nope it would be a nope for me literal lives in your hands yeah and pittance I don't, no. I personally don't understand that for anybody. For anybody. Uh, let's see. The um, So our pay is based on the facility. So we have level okay. facilities from five to 12 and mm-hmm. depending on your facility and your airport type. So like a level five tower is going to be not getting paid a lot, but you probably will be in like West Virginia where the locality and stuff is not, you know, it's a livable wage. What's they, level five? What do the levels mean? Um, that's just the complexity of the airspace. Oh, okay. Okay. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so then, somebody yeah. that worked, go ahead. I was going to go ahead. Um, I was going to just say that we get locality also. So we get like, okay. and we get locality. So if you live in like a Tampa, you're going to get paid more than like me that lives in fancy. Dakota at a single okay. facility or a, mm-hmm. in New York you're going to get paid a lot more because of the locality than I'm getting right paid Florida like I lost a lot of money coming to Florida but right my okay. might be a little bit better mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's still fucking New York it's yeah. New York so you don't have so would you have the same air traffic control for JFK and LaGuardia no so they have their different towers but then there's a tracon up over them it's actually in westbury right there by um source mall where source mall oh, is like oh, yeah. you know there's like a smoke tower um stack by where it used to be like lipa but they changed to whatever psgle whatever i think yeah. i know what you're talking about there's a little bit i used to work at the source right mall the truck um store you know where the truck places on is that Oak Street? I've been on Long Island a long time. <laughs> I promise you, I've passed it. I promise you, I've yes, passed it. It's just sitting there, and it's like a guarded gate, but people just drive past it. I know what it was. Honestly, the one side of it is on, you know, where the um, Meadowbrook goes underneath, but there's an overpass underneath Oak where by um, no, Oak Street. No. Cause I'm thinking, cause I would always take Southern state down to Meadowbrook and I would make the hook and then I would come up either. Um, and I'm like exit going what direction. Uh, it's two or three on Meadowbrook, but to go to Oak street. Okay. Because I feel like the mall was what, like four, six or something like that. Yeah. Okay. I promise I've passed it. Yeah. 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 Okay. You'll, you'll think right of it there. later and be like, oh yeah, I seen this little building. So yeah, a little building over there. That's the Tracon. And they control like LaGuardia, um, JFK, Newark, um, White Plains, all of okay. that stuff over there. 
So yeah. the mid-tier, you're responsible for more airports because it's about the space and not necessarily the... Yes. the yep. okay. So literally the towers get you on the ground at that airport into like maybe, depending on the airport, it might only be 1,500 feet off the ground. Or like at my airports, it's like 3,000 feet off the ground. And then the tray car is going to take over all the space under that. Now there's spots in America where... It goes from the tower straight to the center, like in mm-hmm. like, I would say Michigan or some Western states and stuff like that, where the centers are real big and there's not that many tritons in between. The center will take over, but it's usually at least a tower and a center. And okay. over every tricon is a center. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So what... This was the question that I was most excited to ask you. What exactly does airplane mode do? If I don't put my phone in airplane mode, is it as risky as some people would like to think? So I was told in one of my briefings that with the new 5G, it does mess with the systems of the airplane. Mm -hmm. I don't know, because I have been on an airplane and had my phone on the whole time. Mm-hmm. I remember a and couple of like, flights. Like I just totally like, didn't think like, about um, it. Yeah, right. Like I just I go to sleep. Most flights I cannot stay awake on. It's like I mean, I put the seatbelt on, try to get comfortable, and don't talk. Don't talk to me until you get the snacks ready. At that point, wake my ass up. <laughs> but yeah, popcorners. I want them. Two bags. Thank you. Maybe three. Um, but. I know people that are just like, it always gives me pause. Right. And it's more so because I'm judging that person versus the actual technology. I'm judging the person because when I see somebody that is very defiantly not following those instructions, right. In my mind, it's just, Oh, so you're more important than everybody else being safe. And that bothers me. It's not that you don't have airplane mode on or it's not that you're like you know shooting off that last text message because we all been there it's just that last thing I love you too I'll be there no this is the gate I'm coming to or work or whatever important thing like people don't just travel for vacation people travel for a slew of fucking reasons so yes there are very important things that sometimes need to be discussed or affirmed or declined whatever right but in my mind, it's not about like, oh, the type of device or this that you have and you have this or what all is important, but it's just like, my guy, I care about coming home to my man. I care about seeing my nanas. You know what I mean? So don't fuck with that. And when people are just like, so it don't do nothing or don't worry about it. Or it's just, well, why is it that you get to decide that for everybody? What if you're fucking wrong? (laughs) What if Um you're wrong? I don't know. I'm not trying to find out though, but honestly, exactly. I, I don't have a real answer because I don't know, but I would definitely ask a pilot that answer. Mm-hmm. They would know better. But they do know the buttons. We did have a briefer that did say something about the 5G does mess with the equipment. And so I do know on the side of the um, the equipment, like the towers and stuff, because some of those towers are navigation points also. But when your cell phone is on, it's looking for, you know, it triangulates three towers. So really it's a detriment to your phone because they could track you. (laughs) So if you're doing something that you ain't supposed to be doing, like flying and doing a murder for hire plot, 
Tim Norman. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> the same. Then they could triangulate your whole, plot your whole thing out. So yeah, that would be a good reason to turn that phone off or turn in airplane mode. But um, so I can just imagine if the new 5G equipment does have, is interacting with the flight plans and the um, mm-hmm. GPS in the plane, that that could be an interference. So I don't know. I'm not, I'm going to say I can't give you a hundred percent answer on right. that, but I would, a pilot would definitely know better, especially with them doing the new upgrades to 5G everywhere. So, Okay. Have you ever had any of those, not of those, but have you had any like close calls or stressful encounters on the job? Yes, I've had um, situations where planes have not with me crashed, but maybe crashed in the next sector after and then they do an investigation, pull you in and be like, hey, Mm -hmm. like we want to, this plane crashed here and you know, this is what you said to the plane or they went through your airspace, but you never talked to them or stuff like that. Or even just calling, like you can see targets and stuff on our radar. So it might be like, you know, this target is not talking to anybody, but it's going down rapidly. Like that's weird, you know? Um, So we've like did some saves and stuff like that um, where a plane has went down or then we'll send like, one of our somebody was talking to him be like hey can you go over to this point and see if you see smoke or anything like that and they mm-hmm. come back and be like yeah you need to send somebody over here and then oh, we wow. see, like the ambulance and the cops in that location and be like hey we had a plane go down or a helicopter go down xyz mm-hmm. place like send somebody out there um yes and i have had co-workers who have been working like in weather conditions and stuff like that we are required to tell them what we see but our weather radar doesn't always give us accurate depictions of the weather mm-hmm. terrible right um, so we kind of rely on the pilots to say like you know like i'm seeing this on my radar can you tell me what's out there and then we get like more up-to-date accounts of what's going on but not always mm-hmm. do you have a plane and give that to you so okay. I've had coworkers who have worked planes and then know about the weather and the plane has gone down, you know, mm. you don't sleep at night for a couple of months and go to therapy, you know? Yeah, that sucks. Um, yeah, those are the times we don't like to see often, which for the most part, we don't. Some mm-hmm. crashes you can't control, like they might've come off one of those uncontrolled airports and never talked to anybody and crashed on takeoff or crash when they landed because their gear wasn't down mm-hmm. so yeah how many crashes in- aren't like anything anybody could do you know right we've or never had any i've never knock on wood had any mid-air <laughs> collisions where i <laughs> pit two planes together oh this real wood here say again oh. oh oh that was real wood i got you <laughs> <laughs> I was some wicker that ain't gonna help I got you. <laughs> so you know and hopefully in these next 13 years yeah. that I'm gonna be working I don't ever have that but um it does happen mm-hmm. but a lot of it doesn't happen in America I think because we do such a sense of training in other countries you'll see that and then there might be some other stuff involved in that and then they just say it was this in other mm-hmm. <laughs> copy <laughs> so 
the number of flights that you do say in a day, what would like proportionately, do you do more commercial flights that you deal with or more? No, not here where I work in my facility now. Uh, the bulk of our traffic is military trainers. Okay. So, so it's lo- it's location-based, basically. It's what's yeah. over there. Yeah. Okay. So in certain areas, you'll deal more so with like private planes, helicopters, and just mm-hmm. people doing weird people things under the, um, wait, I wrote it down, flight levels, yeah. <laughs> 18,000. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. So that's not, I guess it's not terrible. Which, do you have a preference? For what you end up dealing with? So I liked the en route because it was more structured, but I think my job is fun where in the trade con because like you really do have to think sometimes on the fly, like, okay, I got this weather here, pretty much my whole airspace. So like now I have to start thinking outside the box and being like, all right, if I take this guy, do this that path works and now I'm rerouting everybody this way but these planes can't go because they're going to hit this MOA or what you know so it's like no day is the same so oh I like that going like you know like oh you know I worked all these um so at the military trainer schools they have groups of classes so I don't know how often they come in it feels like maybe every three months there's a new class and you can mm-hmm. tell when a new class comes. <laughs> instructor, instructor. <laughs> you gotta be like, I need the instructor only to talk. Uh, copy. Like, you know, maybe. herding cats sometimes. Where's the adult? <laughs> yeah, like, Come on, pitch your daddy on the phone. <laughs> right. <laughs> Where's your mommy today? Like, you know, I, I said this, not this. I said, you mm-hmm. went right the other left right that's my favorite one Mm -mm, not that one not that one try again try again yeah so that part of it is icy so it's not like you know you go to work you know some days you go and you're like oh it was like a rough day but you know tomorrow when you come in it's not gonna be it could be like the same yeah or it could be like okay well that day was terrible but like let's make it better because we learned something from yesterday so Mm -hmm. I feel like also like every day is a new experience so like it's building on the knowledge that you have from the day before because of your your experiences okay so so I think it's a fair assumption to say that air traffic controllers are relatively decent if not the if if not better than relatively decent at making quick decisions like thinking on the fly like okay this isn't going to work follow up it's not like let me call this person and see what I need to do that the chain of command I would assume is a little bit more lax a little looser because you don't necessarily with certain decisions I would assume high profile people coming through you know we're gonna have people from you know like say when the president comes in they're gonna Mm -hmm. have a team come in before him and then mm-hmm. they're gonna be like, y'all can't say this, y'all can't do this, y'all can't do that. But besides that, normal everyday traffic, no, you know, unless you have an issue, you don't really need the supervisors. They just there. Okay. <laughs> so it sounds like we, okay. we need to get you a supervisor role. But no, but you like your job. No, so then no. It. I don't yeah. want it. <laughs> okay. Same. I don't want no more responsibility than I already got. No. So my last okay. question for you. Well, go for it. Supervisor in my job, like you don't talk to the planes, Mm. you know, like you only do like eight hours talking to the planes, and 
that wouldn't be fun that's what okay. I like uh, I hate this show <laughs> copy I I'm just so happy you like what you do yeah I, I love when people enjoy their work it's like you do so much so much of your life is work yes most of us want to like it you know what I mean I don't think the majority of us want to go in knowing that we don't like it here but we have to do it anyway right. so I'm always my heart is always a little warmer talking to people that actually like their jobs mm-hmm. and so my last question for you is knowing what you know because of the work you do are there any things that you would think that you do normally than the average person or that you do differently now that um, you didn't do before you became aware of air traffic and all the things that go on behind the curtain in the sky, if you will? Um, I think that working as an air traffic controller for these few years, well, half my career at this point, um, it makes me look a little bit deeper into the picture. You know, like some people mm. be like, oh, like you go to a store and a person's cranky, but like you don't know that the last right. person they just dealt with spit on them, you know? Right. So I kind of look deeper into the picture and be like, oh, you know, like this could have happened or, you know, or mm-hmm. like somebody's getting off the exit on the interstate and they they see that there's a line, but they like go on the other lane. Mm-hmm. And they, the last thing and then switch you over mm-hmm. maybe that person wasn't paying attention to the directions didn't know that they need to get off that exit you know so I kind of like give people more benefit of the doubt now and I don't take things as personal you know okay in my you know I just try to like okay it could be yes yeah. just go okay low or now we just gotta reposition and move around you know just let it gel grace more <laughs> yeah. grace if you will yeah. do you travel any differently knowing what you know about aviation um no I know some of the things that when you're flying and they do like different sounds on the planes so like I listen for some of them when I'm on the planes but mm-hmm. with my lifestyle and my household setup I don't be traveling as much as I would like okay but Give me like three more years. I'm one of these kids. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm out. <laughs> okay. I'm right now, 2026. I got eight trips set up. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Yeah. Dom, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. I am like, I feel like next time I get on a plane, I'm going to be like, <laughs> I know you're going to change talking to people at 18,000 feet. So <laughs> did you know this 18 C? I bet you didn't. <laughs> I did. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me. Travel is so much more than vacation again, y'all. Yeah. There are actually people in, I won't say in the sky because you're not technically in the sky with us, but there are so many little hands and so many eyes and so many, not little hands, but big hands. There are so many things happening behind the scenes to get you where it is you need to go. And I really think this was a fucking interesting conversation because I never would have thunk that, you know, so many different you open my eyes to a lot. So thank you for that. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. You're welcome. Is there anything else you want to leave the people with before we sign off? No, just if you see an air traffic control or you know somebody that is 
maybe they don't know what they want to do after high school mm-hmm. always go to usajobs.gov and look for opening bids if you see somebody share it share it you never know who can run into it and become an air traffic controller you said usajobs.gov yes all right and that's that sound 2152 you said 21 say it again the series is 51 uh 2152 2152 that's the test that you take for air traffic yes all right i'm gonna add that to the description box they need more y'all and they need more (laughs) black women because clearly we could think on the fly let's let's get it done (laughs) dom thank you so much mama you're welcome i appreciate you bye Bye, y'all